You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is Curse of Bronze. Chapter 3. The Purpose of Libraries. A few moments after the hags, the ladies, Bella told herself sternly, departed, the beast-faced librarian from next door appeared at the broken hole in the parlour wall, looking rather sheepish. Are they gone? We can only hope, said Bella, sinking into the nearest armchair. Not Maggie, but she was really going to have to learn all their names at some point. I'm so sorry, I didn't catch your name before. She was determined to be polite to him, if only because her aunt's friends had been so awful about his presence. Though she did intend to ask, upon closer acquaintance, exactly why it was that Aunt Charlotte had never fixed the curse-blasted wall between their houses. The beast remained on the threshold of the hole, not imposing upon her space. He wore an even prettier suit today, perfectly measured and fitted, in warm earth tones of brown and gold. It matched his leonine face and wild mane, which, once one knew to expect it, was not at all displeasing to the eye. I am Lionel Hope, he said. My library is a private collection, but your aunt did find it useful on occasion, for seeking out the more esoteric references necessary for her work, which is a nice way of saying she treated my books as her own. Want to see? The words probably a criminal record surged through her tired mind. I never met a library I didn't like, Bella said, and hauled herself to her feet. Do you have much in early lupine? I'm working on an Isolde translation at the moment. The werewolf quartet or the Remus elegies, he asked. I've always felt that the quartet was lacking a decent translation. Every lupine scholar I've ever met claims that Pike did his best. But he was working without modern tools, and linguistics have come a long way in the last fifty years, Bella agreed. And no one else has bothered to do it, because there's no glory in producing a slightly more interesting translation that will be overlooked, because there's a building at Helicon College named after Pike's rather more talented uncle. Mr. Hope's eyes lit up with animation. A cynical academic next door. Well, that was better than a hellraiser. Bella hesitated a moment before stepping across the hole into his house. Not because she doubted her safety. Surely Mrs. Teapot and the other talkative furnishings would warn her if Mr. Hope was not to be trusted. Wait a minute. Did you say your name was Lionel? I did. His eyes were laughing at her now. But I thought, I'm so sorry, I thought you were cursed. Was that rude? She didn't know the etiquette around such things. Some years ago. I'm quite distraught you've missed out on seeing how pretty I was, once upon a time. Your name is Lionel, and your curse was... Flustered, she pointed at her own face. Was it a particular cruelty or coincidence that gave a man a lion-faced curse that matched his name? 
That's curses for you, said Mr. Lionel Hope. If she had given much thought to the fact of there being a library next door, Bella might have imagined a room full of books, perhaps two. In fact, Lionel collected books the same way that Charlotte Hathaway collected cursed objects. Bookshelves lined every wall in every room. They wound around staircases and stretched up as high as the ceilings themselves. If it was possible to carpet floors with books, he would surely have managed it. The lupine texts were in a back room that opened out onto a covered porch, with a hint of a tiny garden beyond. Bella wondered if she also had such a porch and garden. She'd not yet given herself enough time to properly explore. If she did have a garden, would the trees and potted roses and watering cans have as much to say to her as the armchairs and teacups? Bella was delighted to see several useful reference works, including many she owned herself, but had not thought to bring to the city in her hurry. A few others she'd only ever been able to borrow by interlibrary loan, a poisoned chalice that provided excellent access to rare volumes, but had the unkind habit of enforcing return dates with unseemly haste. Almost as soon as she arrived at the lupine section of the library, she realised she was going about this all wrong. Her translation was not due to the publisher for months. She was well ahead of schedule. She had another research project which deserved her attention. Where do you keep your books on curses? she asked. Ah, said Lionel Hope, sounding a little sad. Of course. Come upstairs and I'll show you. The hags must never find out about this. They'd be gossiping about her until the end of time. Lionel led Bella to an airy room upstairs, also lined with books and wide windows overlooking the street. It must have been a master bedroom once, though there was no bed in sight. This was a man who had his priorities straight. A large table filled the centre of the room, perfect for, for spreading out huge piles of books when getting to grip with a chosen topic. Bella coveted it instantly. There was a stack of books waiting on the table. She read a few titles aloud. Curses and Transmutations, Theory of Midas Curses, the alchemist's folly. As you can see, said Lionel, I started without you. I've been building a solid selection of works on transformational curses. It's a bit of a pet subject for me. She blinked at him and he waved at his beastly face, which he had already started taking for granted. When she didn't say anything, he continued. Most of these works were recommended by Charlotte herself. I'm not saying she used my own curse as a good excuse to widen her access to volumes she wanted to get her hands on, but I'm also not not saying that. There are so many, I'm really not sure how to narrow it all down. Charlotte was research researching your curse, Bella blurted out. I mean, sorry, obviously she didn't succeed. You don't know that? I might have looked like a buffalo six months ago. She was starting to get the measure of his sense of humour. 
and managed not to apologise again. Lionel relented. Yes, she looked into it extensively. I am on the short list of curses she never managed to break, and problems she never managed to fix. You know what Charlotte was like. Failure annoyed her more than anything in the world. Well, sighed Bella, looking at the large stack of books. We mustn't fail her now. With my looks and your brains, I'm sure we'll solve the puzzle in no time. And as for narrowing it down, quickly Bella filled him in on the details she'd learned from the police. So you see, the memories of the witnesses were tampered with. They lost any recollection of the attacker's appearance, but not of the fact of their presence. Also, she wasn't holding anything unusual or touching anything when she fell. Most curses are placed on objects, not people, so the victims effectively curse themselves. But this one must have been triggered by a phrase or a, a spell spoken out loud. Lionel sat down at the table, pulling a few books towards himself. That cuts out a lot of the common curses. Do you know why she was at the reading room in the first place? I was hoping you could tell me. You've talked to her recently. Lionel shook his head. I'm afraid not, he said gravely. Charlotte has been working on something all right, but she never had the time even for a cup of tea recently. Always out and about. She hasn't visited me for weeks. So whatever it is she was working on, I didn't have what she needed. The creases above his wide nose deepened suddenly, as if he had another thought, but he did not choose to share it. Bella nodded. But the red reading room did, perhaps? There's only one way to find out, said Lionel, falsely cheerful. Who doesn't love a reading room? Bella made arrangements with Sergeant Stamp to meet her at the Eldritch Library, guessing that the custodians of such precious tomes might be quite unhelpful when asked to share information about the borrowing habits of their customers. Sergeant Stamp was uncommonly delighted to be involved in her amateur investigations, though he wasn't convinced they would find anything. Never heard of anyone being murdered over a book. Clearly you've never attended an academic conference, said Bella. I'm surprised most of them don't end in at least one murder. Mr Silas Grimbleby, custodian of the reeds, was pulled out of his office to answer their questions. He was a slender, greyish man, who behaved as if speaking to people was his worst nightmare. He did, however, dutifully produce an extensive portfolio of library records in order to check the search history of Miss Charlotte Hathaway. Gargoyles, he said, after a long, thoughtful pause. Books about gargoyles, said Bella. Books, lectures, image archives, all she searched for the last six weeks. Gargoyles. How odd. Bella noted down several of the titles and the relevant dates. Anything else in your records? asked Sergeant Stamp, 
Anything that might tell us exactly what she was doing in here on the day in question? Mr Grimbleby gave a heavy put-upon sigh. Well, there are the letters of request, he said, but she's not the only one. Join the queue, madam, I said. And about six months or so ago, she stopped asking. What was she requesting? asked Bella. Can we check that? Ha, said Mr Grimbleby. I know that without checking. She wanted to get her sticky hands on the grotesque glossary, also known as the Quinfield Bible. Old, highly valuable esoteric text not to be taken out of the red reading room under any circumstances. Miss Charlotte Hathaway wrote a total of 19 letters to the board of the Eldritch Library over the last five years, requesting to be allowed to view the volume. No patience, some people. Not that she's the only one. I get requests from Professor Tumbridge every other month, not to mention that other fellow. He trailed off. And, said Bella, when it seemed that no more details would be forthcoming, why was there such a long wait for my aunt to see the book? Mr Grimbleby rolled his eyes with painful exactitude. The book in question is out on permanent loan, has been for years. A travesty it is. I bet they're not even keeping it at the right temperature. If you want to know more about all that, take it up with Mrs Macabre and the Ministry of Cold-Blooded Crimes. I wash my hands of the whole stinking business. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky or Threads at Tansy RR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. This month on Patreon, not only uh, did I start this podcast serial, which is supported by that, uh, but also I've started a new prose serial for $3 pledges and above of the new Teacup Magic novella. I say novella. I'm really hoping this one doesn't turn into a novel too, but it's starting to look like that. Uh, This is Teacup Magic 6, This Enchanted Island. It will be released generally in August, but if you don't want to wait, your only way to read it is to be one of my Patreon subscribers. And I will see you next week for more Curse in Bronze. (laughs) 